You're listening to the COVID-19 Update, a podcast from the CSIS Global Health Policy Center focused on the science and policy implications of the outbreak. I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and I'm joined by my colleague, Steve Morrison, to discuss the latest on COVID-19. Heather, it's great to have you on our podcast as always, but the circumstances are getting really intense in Italy. All of Northern Italy now quarantined. That's 16 million people. Tell us what prompted that decision. That's pretty drastic. It is drastic. And developments over the weekend, I think what had happened, uh, because the cases uh, were growing so great and the government was starting to lose the capability of containing the outbreak, I think what had happened, the government had developed or drafted this decree that would have sent out and, and quarantined 16 million people. The document leaked on Saturday. And this is what's so important because the document leaked, the press let it out, and then everybody who did not want to be trapped in Lombardy and Veneto in northern Italy basically jumped on every train and plane and car to get out and to go south. So the exact mindset of trying to keep people in that contained area and not spread absolutely did the opposite. So then the prime minister in the middle of the night had to release the document. They quarantined it. So today on Monday, March 9th, actually the Italian police, they're trying to monitor this. They're trying to from highways, rail stations, but flights are still leaving. Um, And so this was an act that speaks to the urgency As uh, Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte said today, this is Italy's darkest hour. They understand they're, they're losing control of this. But how this had been managed actually, I believe, made it worse potentially spread the virus across Italy and outside of Italian borders. You even now have governors of southern Italy refusing to take anyone that's coming from the north. So it's exacerbating north-south tensions in Italy, which are always there. Uh, Now it's making it worse. So it it speaks to the, the desperation of the situation and an attempt to control it, which backfired. How did it cause a further spread? So uh, basically, because that document leaked out, people wanted to get out before they were trapped. So uh-huh. they honestly, literally were running to catch the last train. People were jumping in their cars so they could have uh, had the virus and uh, not so known. So whether they were exposed leaving. or not, they yeah. took off. Yeah, yeah. And we still have flights that, uh, as of over the weekend, were still leaving from northern Italy. But now what we're seeing is uh, EU member states are now, airlines are, are refusing to take planes from northern Italy now. You're starting to see where borders uh, are being checked, the Swiss-Italian border. I think you'll see the the Italian-Austrian border, you're going to now start seeing where if Italy won't take those those types of measures that other countries, surrounding countries will. I want to bring our colleague Steve Morrison in, who's been following the situation really closely. Steve? Just to add what Heather said, the decision by the prime minister was an act of desperation. The health system in those core areas where the epicenter of the outbreak was, the the health system was getting overwhelmed and the providers were begging the government. They were saying, something has to be done. We're going to collapse. Something has to be done to slow the transmission and slow the flow into our, into our facilities. We're at risk of collapse. The second thing that was feeding the desperation is the sort of perceived desire that we have to shut things down to save the economy from worst outcomes, right? They had gone and gotten a $7.5 billion euro uh, facility to try and stabilize the economy, but it wasn't working. They were seeing this prodigious spread, 
And if you step back for a moment, the pattern here is not unlike in the United States, very slow, non-aggressive, complacent, disjointed initial response in which the virus got way out in front of everybody and then began spreading like wildfire, becomes visible, and then there's a crash response that is still not clear who's in control, who's the command and control, still not clear how they're interfacing between federal, provincial, and local levels who do not get along with one another, right? We've got the governor of Veneto saying, I, I object to this and I, and I want to appeal for exemption. I mean, this was put in force without any consensus across those three levels, quite, quite the opposite, a lot of very contested stuff. And this is the first Western democracy affected by this in a crisis attempting to bring forward these kind of quarantine measures and it's chaotic. It's the first Western democracy to really institute these kind of draconian measures to stifle people's travel. In the midst of desperation. Right. So how many people are actually infected now, and I know it's growing, in Italy? What, what, what are the numbers we're looking at? Well, we have recorded cases, confirmed cases that are jumping at a very swift rate of 7,375. And the other thing is the fatality rate is very high. 366, it leapt forward by 133 in the last day. This is striking elderly and those with chronic underlying conditions. The, those initial villages in Lombardy were very high density of elderly uh, and infirm. And we're going to see more of this. We're, we're going to see the most vulnerable uh, getting struck down. And it's freaking out the, the neighbors in Europe. Heather can say more about this because the export is not just going south. Going There's north. the sense that there has been a lot of export out of Lombardy, uh, invisible, silent export into the European and neighboring states. And Germany is particularly uh, feeling anxious about all of this. Their numbers are going up. So what about that, Heather? Yeah, so we are absolutely seeing the uptick in cases, uh, France, Spain, Germany, UK, those are in sort of in order uh, among uh, European countries. Um, so what we're beginning to see, there really has not been an overarching European Union response, a lot of conferring. Certainly, as Steve was mentioning, uh, there is recognition this is going to be devastating to the Italian economy. It just goes to point out that Northern Italy is the economic powerhouse of Italy. Italy has basically not had economic growth for two decades. Uh, we were already fearing going into this that Italy was in a technical recession. So Lomb fragile. It's extremely fragile. And, you know, Lombardy and sort of the uh, Veneto, Northern Italy, that's 40 percent of Italian exports comes out of just that region alone, a third of Italy's economic output. So, I mean, if there was one place that, uh, you know, you coronavirus. The tourist sector, in fact. Exactly. Venice is uh, just absolutely uh, deserted right now. So, they've been focusing on stimulus, and uh, I think they'll continue to have to focus on the economics. But what the neighbors have been doing, again, today, because of the exponential rises in cases and deaths, now you're starting to see where Swiss authorities have now uh, imposed uh, border controls and, you know, sanitary conditions. Poland just recently announced it's instituting sanitary controls on the German-Czech border. So if the, without being, again, a response, these countries are in the Schengen border uh, agreement, which means no internal borders, just external borders. 
under Schengen, you can have an emergency. You can impose internal border. They did that during the migration crisis in 2015. Has anyone invoked that yet? So they haven't, which is for me very interesting because during the 2015-2016 migration crisis, oh my gosh, uh, in fact, we still see some of those internal controls, but they're not doing it for this. But over the weekend, I was hearing anecdotal, and this is is just, it's tragic. I think that it was in a a Swiss airport. Uh, They were calling the passenger list and a gentleman who was from Belgium had an Italian name and they refused to allow him to get on the plane. He was not he didn't live in Italy. He lived in Belgium. So there's a lot of confusion about all of this. But now you're starting to see where countries are imposing those border controls. I believe you're going. You're starting to see already in France, in Germany, in the UK that just had its fourth death announced. Germany just had its first death. They are prohibiting, you know, large gatherings. Uh, they're starting to shut universities in the Basque region and Spain. They've just shut down some universities. So slowly, I believe particularly France, Spain, and Germany, will start to impose, not the draconian measures that we're seeing in Italy, but they're going to start replicating some of the some of the shutting down pretty clearly. And of course, we just heard uh, Dublin is not going to hold the St. Patrick's Day parade this year. They, they've just can, you know, canceled that. So lots of, um, well, lots of, of concerns. Well, a lot of upset about that. I am. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just, Basel canceled its carnival. Too. Every, right. yeah, well, I think carnival, right. carnival was probably spreading a great deal of this. A lot of school holidays, winter breaks, a lot of school children went to northern Italy. And a lot of the people that are in self-isolation in, in Europe today are because they vacated and holidayed in, in northern sure. Italy and then have put themselves into self-isolation. Can I add two things that are curious about this or notable? One is, okay, in this announcement from the prime minister, they're shutting down museums, gyms, schools, universities, ski resorts. Religious ceremonies. Religious ceremonies. But then there's a proviso about this, which seemed to undermine them and say, we're making all of these exemptions. You can still go to restaurants, just sit three feet apart. You can still go to bars, just sit three feet apart. So it looks like a pretty half-baked form of trying to come in. You're coming in aggressive late, right, versus coming in really aggressive at the front end. You're coming in aggressive late, and then you're only half aggressive in what you're doing. The other thing that is startling is how quickly this translated into instability in the prisons. We've had riots in 27 prisons. Wait, this is 27 prisons in northern Italy, correct? Across Italy. I think there's even some prisoners in the south as well. And that has to do with rights of family visits. It has to do with their own insecurity. But it shows you that in these contexts, prisons and policing come under lots of stress. You're going to see these sorts of things flare up. Okay, so what can we in the United States expect looking at this across the pond? Is this something we should be looking at clearly? We, you know, our cases here in the United States are escalating quickly and, you know, clearly our responders are out there talking about what we need to do. Um, we're all talking about what kinds of uh, behaviors we need to change here in the United States. What should we be thinking about? Well, the crisis in Washington state is the most poignant and powerful epicenter right now. Governor Inslee is deliberating over what kind of bold, aggressive action is he going to take. I think we're going to see some bold and aggressive action taken that will be fall short of a quarantine, but put measures in force that uh, are going to get people to sit up and pay a lot of attention. In his instance, he has been pushing forward 
from early on and being very critical of the slowness and complacency coming from the federal government and being openly critical about the debacle surrounding testing, the month-long delay in getting the supplemental through so that you could get cash flowing out, the frustration they've all felt on multiple levels, the confusion in signaling and messaging about is this serious, is this not serious, will this go away soon, will we have a vaccine tomorrow or in two years, all of that sort of confusion has hurt us when you add all of those factors together. We are not unlike Italy in the sense that we failed to come in with a coherent and aggressive early action. Now we've got a epidemic, the virus way out in front of us, and we're trying, we're going to try to regroup. And I think Washington is, and Governor Inslee is one place to watch what happens. The other governors, we've got six or seven that have declared states of emergencies, including New York, Florida, Washington, California, Maryland, Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. Watch what the governors do. Some of them are, are calling it now preventatively to free up funds so they can actually ad address, right. the, address the issue before something really bad happens. Right. And I think uh, one of the interesting things to watch, too, is Seattle, King County has the best public health and science, biomedical scientific capacities of any county in the country. And they are struggling to take care of what what has already happened and what they're now discovering, which is astronomically high growth rates in, in this runaway outbreak. And you have to ask yourself, okay, they are overwhelmed in dealing with where we are today, and they have exceptional capacities. We're rushing in the U.S. Public Health Service folks. We rushed in a team over the weekend. They're appealing for personnel from around the region to come in. But this is just, you know, this is just the first thousand cases. If you do the exponential, if we're entering exponential growth, this is going to quickly spiral to a level that overwhelms us. And I think that's what has folks at the state and federal level captivated at the moment is what are we looking at in three weeks time? What are we looking at in four weeks time? So Tony Fauci, head of the NIH's infectious disease outfit said over the weekend, he didn't think there'd be anything as draconian as nobody in, nobody out in the United States, but he talked about something that he called mitigation. What did he mean by that? Well, I think what he means is what he's calling voluntary self-isolation. That is less coercive, but much more voluntary. People being given the privilege or the, and the encouragement to stay home from work or have their children out of school. That Preparing people for the idea that we are heading into a highly disruptive phase. And we need, to, we need to admit that, that this is not going away easily or soon. And we're going to be highly disruptive and we're going to have to ride it out in taking our own agency and control of our own destiny in self-isolating. The other thing that Tony Fauci did over the weekend that was notable and with Scott Gottlieb they were both on Face the Nation. It was Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan. Scott Gottlieb, former, former FAA. FDA. So who's very free to speak his mind. Tony Fauci said clearly and emphatically, for the first time, a senior person in the administration said, those who are elderly or have fragile health should not be riding on planes, should not be congregating at public gatherings, and should not take cruises. Now, why did it take us six weeks to reach that point? Um, Scott Gottlieb took the step of saying, we are going to have disruptions that are going to require us 
to put interventions in place that limit people's ability to move around. He didn't say lockdown, I don't believe. And I would say, for me, the two Italian lessons for the U.S., and it comes back to something that Steve said earlier, you cannot manage and try to mitigate the economic impact of doing this as you're trying to really be aggressive and contain it. And it is extremely painful to make decisions, uh, you know, advising people, please don't travel by air. Please don't get on that cruise ship. You have to stay here because they're the economic concerns. I'm sure the Trump administration is very concerned about the economic impact, but you can't have it both ways. You're going to have to, to get to the recovery economically. You've got to get past this stage. And the longer you draw this out, it is going to grow potentially. And so I think that, for me, that's one of the lessons the Italians were trying to minimize this, and it got so far ahead of them. The second Italian lesson is that as you, Steve, mentioned, even in the best of circumstances, a crisis and it really reinforces the underlying stresses in a country's system. So for Italy, Italy has the highest population of elderly in the European Union. So you already had a vulnerable pop, uh, population. Absolutely. You had an economic system that has been under enormous stress, which has placed stress on the health system. The prison riots, uh, there's enormous stress on the Italian judicial system, lack of reform. And so again, at this moment of crisis, and watch the politics of this. We have a very very fragile Italian coalition government right now. Populism, nativism has been spreading throughout uh, Italy, dividing Italy north and south. So you place this stress on top of all those underlying stresses, and it really does begin to shake your confidence at a moment when you need confidence in all of your leaders, local, regional, federal, that there's coordination, we're calm, we're confident, we can address this crisis. But uh, it is very, very tough. And, and Italy, in some ways, was so weakened for so long, profoundly, economically, politically, and now this. And I think all of us that, that watch with great concern are hoping that this situation stabilizes very quickly because it just feels particularly the prison riots today, just feels very, very fragile right now. Heather, Steve, we'll be talking about this in days and weeks to come. Thank you both for Thank being you, here Andrew. today. Thanks. Thanks.